Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a special edition of the No Laying Up podcast. Two podcasts this week. Do not expect this going forward, but we had to get to her before she got way too corporate. Now that she has made a big move from the PGA Tour to Callaway, I'm of course speaking with Amanda Balionis. Amanda, how is does it feel to get out of the wrath of John Swantek over at the PGA Tour? <laughs> I was going to say, if uh, you didn't consider me too corporate with five years of the tour, I think I am good to go. <laughs> but uh, let, let's be honest here. I have been begging you to be on this for the last year, and I finally got you to cave. I'm, so that's the only reason why this double podcast is happening this week. I'm just glad you said it, and I didn't have to say it, because it is the only reason this is this is happening. So. <laughs> But you're finally here. I, the microphone has been flipped on you. You are used to interviewing people. I'm not interviewing you. Don't get me wrong. I don't. I don't. I don't have the talent. I don't have the skills you do. To, to. Uh, I, but tell us a little bit for those that maybe you don't know who you are, what you were doing with the PGA Tour, and how it got you to where you are today. Yeah. Um, so I was actually starting. I graduated from Hofstra, home of Katie Nolan. The, the famous broadcaster that went to that school and uh, graduated from there in 2008 and then took a couple jobs in New York from uh, started with Verizon uh, Channel One and then moved over to MSG Network, the Madison Square Garden Network, and was doing sideline reporting there. Um, literally everything but golf. I mean, I was doing like high school boys wrestling, Ivy League, basketball, football, hockey, girls, field hockey, I mean, you name it. And then 2011 came around, and uh, a mutual friend of John Swantek's and myself, uh, Noah Kozlov, put us in touch, and Swan said, all right, why don't you head down to Florida in December, and or maybe it was January, and, uh, you know, see if this job could be for you. And I'm like, okay. You know, I grew up playing junior golf. Um, my parents are golf fanatics, but I've never, I was never really super into it, um, especially being in New York. You're just not around it a ton. I played... Beth Page Black a handful of times, but other than that, just not not really around the golf scene all that much um, since I moved out of the house. So I went down, and I flew out of New York, and there were about three feet of snow on uh, yeah on the ground. It was freezing cold. I fly into Florida. It's 80 degrees and sunny, and I was like, you know, maybe this golf thing, maybe there's something to this golf thing. So I uh, went over, and I was completely honest with everyone. I was like, listen... I know a ton about a lot of sports, but not a ton about golf. And they said, you know what, we can, if you're, if you really want to be committed to this, like we can help teach you. And, you know, I think this could be a great partnership. And, and it was, you know, I kind of just threw myself completely into it. And, um, you know, I know, I know now more about golf than I ever need to know. You know, if you want to talk about, you know, PJ tour, China players, Latino America tour players, um, any web.com tour players got you covered on all of those facets. So, uh, it's been, it was a really, really great five years. We created some really fun shows, uh, by a mulligan trending on tour. 
um, the takeaway. So the last couple of years, PJTour.com just evolved so much, and it was really fun to be a part of that evolution. Um, and then this crazy opportunity came up with Callaway, and, you know, just like it was a really great opportunity to move out of the freezing cold northeast down to Florida – Equally great opportunity to maybe check out what the West Coast has to offer in San Diego, because every time I've been out there for a, a Tory for the farmer's insurance, it's been pretty perfect. So that company, of course, I mean, you know, you know about Callaway. They're, they're so forward thinking. They're so into just trying what people haven't tried before and just seeing if it works. And that's 100 percent up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's going to be really fun to see the concepts that they can come up with. And, you know, just see where we can take it and see if the fans like it. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's just going to be onwards and upwards with uh, new fun things. So you're Harry Arnett's problem now instead of John Swan text. But for the sake I, of this. Yeah, and I, I think Swan is probably laughing right now and Harry's probably texting him like, so how exactly do I deal with this? But <laughs> I will say Harry already has me figured out because he sent me a picture of my French bulldog, Terezo. He put a framed picture of her already on my desk. And I've already had multiple people tell me I can bring her in as the office mascot anytime I want. So, like, my my heart is already 100% with Callaway. <laughs> we're, we're under six minutes in recording before Teresa was mentioned. I had a little... <laughs> A little side bet with uh, with myself on that one, but uh, for the sake I would of this, have taken the way under. <laughs> for the yeah, sake of this podcast, uh, we're not going to talk about PJ Tour China players. I hope that's all right, but because I didn't I mean, know, okay. I didn't know I, there I was, I didn't, I didn't know there was a PGA Tour China until you said that. But uh, I do want to talk <laughs> a little uh, eventually about Callaway, but um, I'm more curious to learn a bit about uh, how, like the 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 daily. What goes into the shows, the daily, what is it, um, highlight shows every single, after every round of the PGA Tour? Like, the the, yeah. the timing of it, how do you come about the, the highlights? Who's writing the scripts? Like, because I know uh, when, when they're, in, like, in Malaysia, you're you're working till 4 o'clock in the morning or something, nights like that. So what is, like, the rundown of an after, at the end of a day, Thursday through Sunday, look like for you? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I just, uh, I actually just did a thing with Mark Crossfield. And when I met him, he said, yeah, you know, I watch your stuff. He was like, you're a really great presenter. Who writes all of that? And I was like, well, I, I do, Mark. I, I write all of that. Like, I don't know the kind of budget that you think we're working on with a digital platform. But, like, we, one person does the majority of it. So how it kind of works is my job started right when the broadcast ended. So, you know, you come in, you watch the entire broadcast from start to finish, and um, I'd be sitting in an edit room with my one editor, and we have another guy as well that kind of helps type up the headlines and descriptions of all the highlights that you see on .com. And uh, I, I'll tell them, you know, clip this off, guys, you know, or clip that announce. We're definitely going to want to use that. Anything funny that happens that maybe, you know, the, the average viewer is going to miss because they're sitting at work or they're just not able to be glued to their television for seven hours of coverage. Um, you know, we try and bring that into a really short recap every night that we call the takeaway. So the broadcast, once the broadcast concludes, then I can write my script. And uh, uh, for the takeaway, which is a nightly show, you know, the script can go, depending on what happens and who the storyline is, the, the script can be anywhere from a minute 30 to, you know, you always try and keep it under four minutes. Um, you know, so you write that and then we would go down and we'd shoot that in the studio um, on our green screen. 
which, you know, that, that part does not take a ton of time. Writing is, you know, 80% of that job and then presenting it is another 10 and another 10 is, is obviously sitting there and producing it, making sure it goes together the way that you wrote it initially. Um, and then after we put all the music on that and make sure that's good to go. And then if there's any other tours going on, like the web.com tour, PGA tour champions, what, you know, all of that kind of stuff, you know, the other six tours we have, um, we have shooters on site at all of those events and they will send us a shot sheet. And then we go through those shot sheets and I'll pick the shots based off the leaderboard or the storylines. Um, and we'll put those together. I'll do some research on the players, make some notes, and then we call all the highlights for that as well. So what makes a night longer is if, you know, say Latino America tour is three hours behind our time zone. We still have to wait those three hours for those shots to come in. Cause they obviously can't send that to us until plays over. Oh. So, you know, it, uh, sometimes it's a killer. Um, <laughs> Yeah, sometimes they can be really late nights, and then other times the stars align, everything works out perfectly, and, and you're kind of in and out seamlessly. But yeah, I would say the uh, the most brutal time of year was when the PGA Tour heads to the other side of the world, and we're on Malaysia time for about three weeks. And that is, uh, you're just a vampire. There's just no way around it. You have a whole new respect for nurses and doctors and people that work the overnight shifts because you're getting up at nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, and you're not getting home until eight o'clock or maybe six o'clock in the morning. So it's, um, yeah, that's really interesting. But the great thing about that is, is that, you know, people are watching those shows because everyone is asleep at those hours, you know, I mean, stateside. So, you know, as much as it sucks to stay up like that, I am someone that needs 12 hours of sleep. I am a child and I need those 12 hours of sleep. So I'm super dramatic about those nights. Um, but it's great to know that like you're actually bringing content to people that really haven't seen it, you know, and it's, um, you know, cause there's some tournaments like the masters or, or any of the majors, you know, you're pretty much just rehashing stuff that people have already seen. Um, which there's, there's something to be said for that as well, but to be able to bring content to people that, you know, they just, really have no other way of seeing it in a condensed fashion. Um, that was always pretty worthwhile. So you are, I'm like, I'm kind of a big fan of the fall series and like the extended, extended PGA tour season. You know, some sure. people complain it's too many events. It's too much on the players. I'm guessing for these events they've added in the off season that make you do the late nights. I'm guessing you're probably not the biggest fan of the extended season. Well, so here's the thing. And like, this is what you people don't understand. You Those people still, yeah, you people, they still existed. Just no one yeah. cared about them. Yeah. You know, so like we still, we still covered all of it. And it was just that because FedEx cup points weren't applied because it wasn't part of the wraparound season, people just didn't, really take notice of it you know so the minute the wraparound season started to kick in and all of a sudden we have players you know top 50 in the world participating in these events our job went from like being like oh man no one's watching this to now more people are watching this which is great because we had to do the work anyway um so yeah i mean it's it's not there for me i, I don't mind the wraparound season at all and for a couple reasons one because there's events existed you know so it gives more value not only to the to the title sponsor and all that stuff but it it does it gives more value to the season itself and it gives more opportunities for players that it's just so difficult to get in 
you know, when you finish on a certain number in the web.com tour finals, it's really difficult to get into these events if you don't do well early in the season. So it gives these guys a whole nother platform basically to perform well under not so much pressure, you know, how it used to be previously was if players that didn't have great status, if they didn't do well on the West coast swing, they really were not seeing any play time until after the Florida swing. I mean, really, when you think about the Florida swing, you're not getting into the Arnold Palmer Invitational. There's Doral, right? I yeah. mean, Honda is a pretty limited field as well. So it's it's really tough for these guys to get into the fields. You know, Phoenix Open, before that, they're not getting – no one's getting into that field. So now all of a sudden you have guys like Emiliano Grillo and Smiley Kaufman who are winning early in the season – and it's moving them to a different category, which means players with lesser status get to move into you know spots that they necessarily maybe wouldn't have gotten into before. So I think it was a necessary evil, for lack of a better term, so that guys that weren't getting into the fields to compete that had full status on the PGA Tour could then play as full PGA Tour members. Yeah, it's kind of almost like spring training with baseball, except it counts. Except you know you're right. you're only going to get. Maybe one of the top ten players in each field each week. Um, usually, yeah, those guys. I think Rory played. Did he play an event last year in the fall? I, I know he. Well, he, he, yeah, they were. He was committed to play fries. Fries, that's right. Oh, but he, yeah. was he? Did he end up playing it? I don't remember. Oh, he did. He I did play. I th- yeah, yeah I, he did. Tiger was supposed to as well, right? WD. Yeah, that didn't a work out. Weeks before, that didn't work out so, so well. But uh, how often? <laughs> Um, how often when, like, let's say you come up with something, how often, like, does somebody look at it before, like, approve it before you go to film it? Like, how often did you come up with something and then they're like, ah, we can't, we can't do that. Um, that happens all the time with my videos. They happen all with the tour. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's such a, it's such a fine line because we're really trying the the PGA tour especially right now is really trying to ramp up their digital content to keep up with everyone else's right but there's also this still that fine line because they're still the PGA tour they still represent the players and the sponsors and the brands so as much as you want to be edgy there's only as you can only take that so far and still protect everyone that you need to protect um Maya Mulligan was a perfect example of this. I pitched it and was like, there is no way they let me do this segment. 100% never going to happen. And I got a response back and it was like, okay, like give it a shot. And I was like, oh, all right, well, like let's do this. So I did my very first one, actually had DJ Piowski come with me and read my questions ahead of time because I am not maybe the most corporate-minded person when it comes to content. Like, I'm like, this is cool and funny. We should do it. And I need someone to be like, stop running through walls. Let's think about this before we do it first. So DJ was always kind of my guy that I had censor me in every way to make sure it was going to be appropriate. And uh, he looked at him, and he was like, I think this is great. Like, give it a shot. So we did our first couple, and it didn't have to be really sent for approval. And then... I did, you know, it kind of started to pick up steam, and we did a buy a mulligan with, I forget what player it was, but we we were doing a bunch of them over at Sawgrass during the web.com tour championship, and I phrased a question, like, this is a perfect example of how I just don't think through things entirely, I kind of need someone to help soften what I'm thinking, I I asked, who got the most drunk after the web.com tour (laughs) art ceremony, and I thought that 
It is. It is. And I got a great answer. So we send it out, you know, we send it out for approval and I get the call and it's like, you can't know, Amanda, you can't ask that. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they were like, you can ask, have the player answer it if he wants to answer, but you got to ask it in a different way. And I was like, huh. Okay, I kind of I kind of see what you're saying there. So we had to go back and kind of reshoot it in a way where I said, you know, who had the most fun? Wink, <laughs> wink. <laughs> and it was still the same answer, so it worked out well. Um, but you know, it's just stuff like that. And there are obviously there are things that are going to be off limits to talk about, just because that doesn't do anything for the PGA Tour brand to talk about it. Yeah, you know, yeah. so and I, I think everybody gets that. The most important thing is to protect the players protect the sponsors that make these tournaments happen. So, you know, it's, I think it'd be unfair to say, well, you should be, you know, nothing should be off limits. Like, of course things should be off limits in that way. I mean, just like all of our jobs, but for the most part, I mean, the tour has done a 180 on the content that they want to be out there. You know what I mean? It's, I think they're, they're much edgier. They're much more up to date and they're definitely reaching younger demographics with the change that has happened the last few years. Yeah. And that's why, uh, I, next question I wanted to ask you was like, cause something, yeah, you're absolutely right. And as far as the highlights they're posting, like the gifts they're posting, the vines mm-hmm. and all this material. And, but like, what's what, like what you just said though, about protecting the players and you can't do this, can't do that. It surprises me. Like sometimes I think overall the tour definitely does a good job of protecting their players, but There'll yeah. be there'll be things where there's like a, a a clip of somebody trying to hit a shot out of the water and flopping it and it not even going out of the water, splashing water all over their face, and it'll say like golf is hard. And I, I, I like obviously people know that and people can watch this on TV and it's not like these things are secret that they happen. But it surprises me a little bit when the tour like will will tweet that out or promote that. So like, does anyone? Did you ever have any re- things that got through review and approved and were posted or anything where and you had players that did not react well to it or get phone calls from agents or anything like that? No, you don't have to I name names. You don't have to name names. No, you know, I, I think as long as it's kept to on course, yeah, news stuff that happens. I think honestly, players are fine with it because. Truthfully, and I think you know this just from knowing a couple of the players, like these guys can laugh at themselves pretty quickly after a round. Like Justin Thomas, perfect example. You know, I mean, he had that shot. I mean, what he shanked the ball, I think, and it went, it (laughs) hit somebody. And like, and Justin was one of the first people to post the video and be like, if you want to know how to hit that shot, just ask me. You know what I mean? These guys can make jokes about things that happen that happen on the course. And I think that's what makes the sport so great is that it's relatable to all of us at home and like i think that golf is hard hashtag it makes me laugh every time because it is hard it's hard for the number one player in the world just like it's hard for like joe schmo who's been playing for three years hacking it up at his local course you know so i think to see the pros be human in that you know in that way i think is phenomenal and i think players get that too like hey yeah we mess up you know, we can chunk a shot just like you can at home, even though we practice eight hours a day. It's not going to happen as often. But, you know, when it does, fine. If you want to laugh at it, like, you can do that. Um, I think I think where players, you know, and rightfully so get upset is where it is when it becomes the off-course stuff, you know, that, that people want to, you know, talk about or, or make fun of and stuff like that. And, and it's always that fine line, right? Well, you're public figures, 
So you kind of have to be able to take it. But on the other hand, it's golf. And, you know, the, I don't know. I feel like having that integrity of, of things being off limits, of not being able to, of not talking about certain things as a gentleman's sport and all that kind of stuff starts to, starts to come into play a little bit too. So I know, I don't think we've ever had players really be upset about high, you know, low lights, I guess that we would post like that. But I mean, I'm, I'm cert- certainly players don't love it when things are talked about when it comes to them off the course. Just like Rory McIlroy, right? I mean, yeah. he learned his lesson with Caroline, and now we know nothing about his yeah. He did supposed learn that engagement, lesson. <laughs> you know. So a lesson learned: if you don't want it to be out there, don't talk about it. Yeah, that's very true. And let me let's let the record note that uh, you were first to mention Justin Thomas on this podcast. Just anyone out there. <laughs> <laughs> thinks we talk about him too much, but uh, who was uh, who was so your buy a mulligan <clears throat> segment for those who haven't seen it, where you would take a player and ask them five questions, and if they answered all of them, they would get a T-shirt, right? Big prize, right. I mean, big time prize. I mean, I, props to you. <laughs> I for, so. Where is my? I never got a shirt, by the way. But I'm just. I have- for you, I have it for you. Use okay. some of your address after this. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, but what is? Who was your favorite? Uh, fa- or, two questions. Who was your favorite guest that you had, and also the most surprising that you were that you were like, wow, that guy's got a lot more personality than I thought. Oh my god! I think it's like they're both. I think the same answer. Yeah. Kevin Kisner. I thought that like, might be it. Dude blew me away. He put the show on the map. Like we did uh, the first one we did was with James Hahn who is, to me, one of the most underrated players, fan-wise, of anyone on the PGA Tour. Like, people should love him. Like, James Hahn should have groupies. He should have people <laughs> following him at every tournament with matching T-shirts and hats on. Like, he is, like, the funniest, most down-to-earth, humble guy you'll ever meet. And I'm like, I don't, I really don't know why he's not, why people haven't picked up on him. As much. I thought maybe after his win at the Northern Trust, like everyone's going to get on the James Hon, James Hahn bandwagon. Has not happened yet, but fingers crossed, somewhere down the road it does. Uh, but we did the first buy mulligan with him, and he was hilarious, as expected, right? And then Kevin Kisner coming off his second playoff loss, the second one coming at the Players' Championship, playing alongside Ricky Fowler, Sergio Garcia, and people are like, who is this guy? And he kind of has that Jason Duffner-esque. Yeah component you know he's walking he, he always looks like he has a dip in his mouth and i don't think he does i think that's just how his mouth looks and he just like has no expression you know and you're like who is this guy so we go to wells fargo the week after players and i'm like all right well let's try and do a buy a mulligan with this guy and i remember saying to my cameraman the best thing about this segment is it's not live so yeah. if he has no personality no one will ever know this happened like perfect we'll just leave it on the edit room floor doesn't matter Sit down with them. Very first question, what did you do after both of your playoff losses? And he looks at me, he goes, drink. Drink. I could see that. Goes, is that a good answer? And I was just like, this guy is the best. <laughs> and his answers got even better from there. And not only was he like so, he was so happy just to do something fun, which I thought was amazing because a lot of guys will, will kind of shy away from that, especially after a huge playoff loss like that. But then he messaged me on Twitter and was like, hey, by the way, my wife's brother, my brother-in-law, he has a t-shirt company in Sea Island, and he will totally hook you up and make these t-shirts for you because I want one. And I was like, are you kidding me, Kevin Kisner? <laughs> like, Is that where the idea like, came for giving out the t-shirts, or were you already doing that? 
No, I mean, I, I had no, I hadn't had the t-shirts made yet. And okay. that's what I said to him in the segment. I'm like, you are going to get a t-shirt. I don't have them yet. I don't know how to make them. And <laughs> he was like, messages me. He's like, I want this t-shirt and my brother-in-law is going to make them for you. And I was like, you are just a great human. Like he's hilarious. And he is just, every time I've seen him after that, just, Hey, Amanda, how are you? Like, you know, he just, he just blew me away with how great of a personality he has, even though it doesn't show at all on the golf course. So, I mean, he was great. Brand Snedeker was great too, though. His story about biting off the quail head was like hands down the most shocking story I've ever heard. Well, like, you got you got to assume even... that not everyone listening to this has heard this story. So you got to tell the story. You've given away oh, the you've given away the the, the climax of oh. it. I'm pretty sure. I mean, it doesn't even matter. Even if you already know he bit the head off, the story is we'll have your jaw on the floor. One of the best things that's happened like through this segment is I get to ask, you know, I, I built such a great relationship and rapport with, you know, players and caddies and agents and, you know, and their friends on tour, you know, that work in media that I'm able to kind of get some dirt on these guys before I interview them. So Ned Michaels, who, uh, you know, obviously does some work uh, with PGA Tour Live and stuff like that, uh, I messaged him as he played on the same team as Brant Snedeker um, at Vandy, and they hunt together. And I was like, Ned, you know, do you have any dirt for me on Sneds? And he was like, you know what I do? He's like, but I'm not going to tell you what happened. Just ask him about what the tradition is going quail hunting. Oh, no. And, and I was like, has Ned ever watched this segment before? Because that sounds super boring, but okay, whatever. Like, I'll ask him. So I, you know, we get into the show and, and I say to Snedeker, like, I hear you have this great tradition of hunting with your friends. He's like, yeah, yeah, I do. I'm like, quail hunting. And his face just goes pale. <laughs> and he's like, oh boy. And I'm like, oh, this is actually, this may be good. And, uh, and, you know, I said, you know, well, why don't you tell me what that tradition is? And he shakes his head and goes, I can't believe he told you this. And the thing was, was Ned didn't tell me this because he thought he was going to buy his mulligan. So he was like, I'm not even going to tell you what happened. So, but Snedeker thinks he thinks I already know. So he's like, all right, I guess I'm just going to tell you on camera. And it, he tells the story of how his friends convinced him like Ozzy Osbourne style to bite the head off a quail's head because that's a tradition when you kill your first quail. So oh he's like, yeah, he's like, so I bit the head off. And as I'm biting it off, my friends are like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. I'm just messing with you. That's not a tradition at all. It's disgusting. Like, like, you like spit the quail head out, Brant. FedEx Cup winner, Brant Snedeker. Like, what? And he, like, described how crunchy it was. And it was the most horrifying, like, 30 to 45 seconds of my entire life. And I, it was so awkward. I didn't know where to go from there because I couldn't get the mental image out of my head. But, uh. I'm, bu- I'm yes. busted right now because I I made you think that I watched all of those and I definitely didn't see that one because I did not know that story. I mean, first of all, rude. I know. What I'm kind busted. of prep is that before a pop- podcast? <laughs> you should absolutely go back right now and watch all the Biomulligans. <laughs> I should have done my homework. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, so we've had some surprising things happen on that show. And uh, I think the only the only one that was hilarious was Daniel Berger. We did one with him. And uh, one of his fellow tour players told me to ask him how he met his girlfriend, and he bought his mulligan. So none of us will know how they met. <laughs> There's got you have to know you have to know the story though. At this point, I know you won't tell it now, but do you know the story? I do know the story. Ah, and yes. If he just would have told us, if he would have told us, it, it's not nearly as bad as everybody like 
makes the story up to be now in their own heads. Is it like, how much can you say about it? Is it like internet dating or some, something of some kind? Let's get, yeah, it's along the lines of something every male in his 20s has done. Oh, wow. Let's leave it no, at that. No, that's, that's, that's leaving it wide open. That's not helping at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you, you could go a lot of different ways with that. <laughs> Um, That's his fault. He bought the mulligan. By the way, I should have mentioned that it was Taylor Farrell that asked the question about the favorite by a mulligan answer on Twitter. Thank you for the question, Taylor. I didn't mean to sell you out there. but um, what, Thanks for uh, wa- I bet Taylor watched all the segments. Taylor probably yes. did. She was, she, was ready. She, was, she was ready with that question, so I'm, I'm <laughs> digging myself a hole right now. I still get the T-shirt, right? Maybe. We'll talk about it later. Okay, fine. <laughs> all right. So, well, you kind of already answered it because I wanted to know, like, what what um, underrated personalities you've come across, you know, as a part of your role with the tour? And I think you touched on it about you mentioned uh, Justin Thomas. I feel like those, no, those guys. I actually never said Justin Thomas was underrated. So. No, no, no. I, I, what I wanted to say related to Justin Thomas is I feel like those guys that haven't aren't fully exposed to the full media, um, I guess, attention at this point. Are are very anxious to do to do like podcasts or random you know stuff to. I'm not saying it's to get attention, but they're just not as gu- as guarded. You know, they're they're willing to let people kind of see their personality. They're willing to share their opinions. Uh, they know that what they say isn't going to be like scrutinized, um, scrutinized yeah. the same way what something that Rory or Jordan Spieth says. So, like it's not like Jordan Spieth probably wouldn't be the best guest on By a Mulligan because that guy knows his way around the media and knows how to answer questions and whatnot. But um, yeah. yeah, so like what? Who else? I, you've already given some good names, but are who like the James Hahn story? That's fantastic. I want to hear these these people that I don't know about because I think a lot of people. They're the the people you become fans of in golf are based off such small little things. Like yes. basically, their mannerisms on TV are how you decide whether or not you like a player, which is you know probably unfair. I mean, I'm sure there's guys out there that I just don't like that are awesome. Like I I make fun of Zach Johnson a lot, and DJ always gets all over me. Like D, D, like ZJ is the man. Like I'm I'm sure he is. I just don't, I don't want to hear it. Okay, I don't want to hear it. But <laughs> and, and he is. I mean, Zach Johnson is one of the kindest. People, you're not you know, helping. So, I know it's so gracious with this time and all that stuff, but like, you know, I don't know. I, I for you, I feel like you need like an edgier guy than Zach Johnson. Like Zach Johnson's not going to be your guy because he's not edgy enough. Yeah. Like I think James Hahn could totally be your dude. We should start James Hahn fan club. Can we just do that? I'm, I'm, Is that a thing? I mean, if you've got a connection, then I'm gonna. I can. Sh- Get me, put me in touch. Let's have him on the like podcast. You, Let's give him a chance. You know about him, right? Like, yeah, of course. Like a shoe salesman, like wrote like after his first win, wrote this incredible letter to himself on uh, the tribute on the Tribune Jeter's website. Yeah, yeah. And uh, did you ever did you read that? I bet you didn't even read that. Probably not. Come on, I, I, I got other <laughs> things going on. I mean, but he was writing how he went out and got absolutely hammered to celebrate his first win and then his baby daughter was born the next day and he was so hungover the entire day oh. like in the delivery room and it was like the letter to the letter to yourself do not get completely hammered the night before your daughter is born even if it's a celebrated pga tour win <laughs> like it's just he's hilarious i'm trying to think of other just brandon grace i mean we don't see him a ton mm-hmm. um but he's he's a fabulous fabulous personality you know in person out there 
easy, easy to root for. Um, I don't know. Give me some other well, uh, Emiliano Grillo. Yeah, okay. I feel like he's a great guy to root for. Um, one of those young guns that I think he could really do a lot for the game. I always root for Johnny Vegas. I know he's been riddled with injuries and kind of fell off after becoming the first Venezuelan to win a PGA mm-hmm. Tour event, but. He's he's fun to watch on the course when does, he's playing well. Does Grio? Does he speak pretty good English? He does. He does. Okay. He does. Okay. Yeah, so no, I, I, I just, know we don't hear a ton from him. Yeah, but. I remember watching him, and he was speaking Spanish with his caddy. So I just was. So he's not like Angel Cabrera, who's been you know been here for twenty years and still does his interviews in Spanish. <laughs> but the, the funny thing about that is, like, he chooses to do the interviews in Spanish. I know. He, he does speak English. He definitely <laughs> speaks English. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I kind I of understand John, that. Vegas is a great one, though, I think. I think he's a good one to... I mean, you've seen him on TV, right? He's yeah. hilarious to watch on the course. Yeah, um, I don't know why. It's really random, like, the group I've, I've who I follow on Instagram, like, from the No Laying Up account. I, it's yeah. just a really random group of 69 people. That's all I know. That's all I know about it. And he's one of them. And I have no idea why. I've never adjusted it. I've, I don't know when we created that account or when we started following people, but he's one of them. And I, I have no idea why. I probably don't even follow like Jordan Spieth, but I follow Johnny Vegas on Instagram. But that's Oh, you definitely follow your crush, Jordan Spieth. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know if I do. I, I, I don't know. That'd be the most big time thing ever. He follows you and you don't follow him back? I don't know if he follows me. I follow him on Twitter. doesn't get the follow back? I I follow him on Twitter. I don't know about Instagram. I don't think he follows the No Laying Up Instagram. But um, that's the thing is ever since he followed us on Twitter, it's so – People are all over me for being just the biggest Speed fanboy, which I'll, I accept that. That's fine. But I, I find it so hard to be – I can't say anything negative about anyone that follows me. I can't bring myself to do it. Oh, my. So objectivity is just out Oh, I, let's be honest. I never have claimed to be objective, okay? <laughs> <laughs> never – not once did I ever claim to be objective. But people get on me for that too. Like, clearly you're showing your bias here. You don't care for Bubba Watson. Like, oh, really? I don't. <laughs> Thank you for You're this like, observation. Guys, this is not straight up journalism. This is not hard yeah. news reporting, right? Here. Thank you. Thank you for following along. Seriously. <laughs> but wait, you have never had a problem being mean to me, and you follow me on Twitter. So yeah, I'm not as afraid of you. Um, That's so rude. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I feel like I can be very intimidating. Uh, I mean, I guess not. Not really. I mean, you basically you've taught me how to make hard boiled eggs. Um, <laughs> Like you help me with my with my recipes. You're not that intimidating. I'm sorry. That's not a, a really okay, strong. Note to self: You cannot be Betty Homemaker and still be intimidating yes. on social media. Un- unfortunately, unfortunately, that is the case. <laughs> all right. Well, on top of that, all of your experience with PGA Tour, can you give us an idea of what to expect? What you'll be doing with Callaway? And I think. There's a recent Callaway winner that you may have mentioned to me is kind of also in that category of really underrated and funny guys to talk to. Yeah, Callaway, this, this position is going to be really interesting because they just created it. Um, so the official title is Media Correspondent, but we'll be doing a lot of different things on a lot of different platforms. For instance, we just launched our very first SiriusXM show, so Callaway Live on SiriusXM, which I'll be hosting once a month. Um, which will be great. So it'll kind of be the best of the best from our Callaway Live guests. Um, And also a little bit beyond. So, for instance, this past week we featured Adam Levine when he was on Callaway Live, which was tremendous. Uh, Phil Mickelson, 
Bones from an interview I just recently did with him uh, at Augusta in the Callaway golf truck and also Tom Watson. So, you know, a great kind of array of guests, uh, players, musicians, that kind of stuff. So we'll be doing that once a month. I'll be doing some player interviews uh, as long as, as well as some maybe, you know, other caddy interviews, stuff like that that comes up. And we, we did a tremendous sit down with Bones that was completely impromptu. Uh, the lasted about 20 minutes, and he gave some really, really great stories and insight about uh, how he and Phil work and kind of the funny inner workings of their relationship that people may not know about. So I'll be doing stuff like that. And then probably working with Dude Perfect a little bit, the Bryan Brothers a little bit, um, doing some stuff with Hank Haney. And then, of course, you know, Callaway's involved with Top Golf. So we'll be covering the launches of Top Golf uh, in Las Vegas, maybe doing some media for them as well. And, uh, and a bunch of other things like that. So we'll be, oh, and then obviously hosting the Callaway Live segments, um, the Callaway Live Minute, stuff like that for the website. So we're kind of going to be everywhere, but that's the fun thing about it is that it'll be different kind of every day. Um, and then there'll be some travel worked into there, too. We know we'll be shooting in Pittsburgh, mild stomping grounds for the U.S. Open. And uh, we'll also be back at the Players' Championship. So my, uh, can I even call these old stomping grounds yet since, since I'm not even out of here? But there'll be old stomping grounds three weeks from now. And, uh, yeah, so we'll be doing stuff like that. But at the Masters, after we talked to Bones and all that stuff happened, yeah, guess who won? Callaway guy, Danny Willett. And I like Woo! him for kind of a couple reasons. Reason one, he has a pug very close to the French Bulldog family. Win. And, like, that's their first... I know they have, like, a, a, a human child now, but for the last, like, few years, that's been their only child, and they've treated this dog like their child, which I loved everything about that. So... You can relate to Very that. cool. Dog lover. Has a cool dog. Um, and also, I interviewed him a couple times last year at St. Andrews during the Open Championship, and I was... This is well before Calais was ever on my radar, and just talking to him... I was blown away by his confidence. It wasn't a smug confidence at all. He was just so calm, cool, and collected while being in the mix at a major. You know, and for a young guy that, that very few of us stateside have ever heard of, I was just so impressed by how confident he was in himself and in his playing and his preparation. And I remember saying that. I remember walking away after interviewing him on Saturday at St. Andrews and just being like, this kid may may win the open you know and you don't walk away from many young players like that you know who are in contention and they're in a major for the first time saying that and uh, i i really thought about that when he got into the second nine on sunday i remember saying i had a bunch of people over for a master's party and i remember saying like this guy isn't the kind of guy who's gonna buckle under this pressure you know, he's he's just going to be kind of locked in and confident. And everyone's like, whatever, shut up. You don't know anything. <laughs> you're you know? Like, and you're like, analyzing and it at a party and trying to break I, it down. I, I may be like the worst person to watch golf with because I get so into like the, you know, yeah, like analyzing what's going to happen. Everyone's like, we don't care what you think. Like, let Jim Nance talk. Like, you shut up and have another beer. <laughs> so I'm like telling them how I think like Danny Willett's going to do it. I'm texting Harry Arnett and Jeff Newbarth like, guys, 
We got to get his pug on Callaway live. Like, let's make this happen. He's going to be the bastard winner. You went you know, straight like, for the pug? Well, I'm straight for the pug. I was like, this would be the greatest segment. We'll get, like, a little green jacket for the dog. It's going to be awesome. And they're like, you're jinxing it. This is never going to happen now. You ruined it. And then Danny Willett wins. I'm like, nobody listens to me, but I told you so. I'm bringing the good luck already. Well, that I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that at least that warms my heart a little bit that he's a likable guy and that you like him because obviously I was uh, I was pretty upset with you know Spieth blowing it but I wanted to ask you you were at you were at the Masters for what were you doing down there this year I was I was only there early week um, but we did some really fun things we actually filmed a cocktail party at the Callaway House uh, which was pretty fun so we did a big just you know cocktail party there were guests everywhere and then I sat down with a bunch of people for like quick one-on-one interviews. So we did Crossfield, um, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, we sat down with Jeff Shackelford, with Joe House. By the way, do you know who Joe House is? I, I obviously listened to Shack House, and I've listened to him on the Bill Simmons podcast for a long time. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know who he is. To, I, I've, I've never met him, obviously. Oh, my God. Well, I met him, and I want him to be my best friend. I don't know how to go about it. I'm going to like send him a letter in the mail asking him, like, yes, no, or maybe, because I'm <laughs> – I have such a friend crush on Joe, on Joe House. I can't even tell you. He's I such love, a cool. I love their podcast. It's off to a really good yeah. start. I know it's it's Callaway sponsored as well, but I think uh, it's a it's it's a really good mix. I enjoy Shackelford's take on the game, and uh, and Joe House brings a nice mix to it as well. It's it's a different podcast, and uh, I, I, it's, it's as soon as it goes up, I listen to it every week. So I'm pretty excited about it so far. Yeah, I mean they're they're a great team because, like you said, they're 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 different, so it's pretty unexpected. But it's phenomenal, and of course they have that Bill Simmons tie. So Simmons comes on and just talks whatever he you know whatever he wants to talk about. Um, but yeah, they're they were really really fun to work with all week. Um, and then who else did we say? Oh, we sat down with the girl that caddied for Tom Watson in the Par Three contest. Claire, I think her name was Claire. I hope I'm not messing that up. But Memorable, she huh? Was, yeah, she was. She was. She was. She was fabulous. Um, but it was funny. She looked so young, and that's how I know I'm getting so old because I looked at her and was like, "Oh, you know, what junior golf program do you play in?" Oh, and she no. was like, um, "I'm a captain of my senior. I'm a, I'm a senior. I'm a captain of my golf team in high school." And I was like, "Okay, I am sorry. That has nothing to do with you. I'm just ancient. Like that's cool. My fault." But uh, so you know, you you got to talk to some cool people like that about their experiences at Augusta, um, how that tournament has impacted their relationship with the game of golf, and you know, it's just it, it was it was a really really fun night. So we did that, and then we did a bunch of player interviews. Got to interview Kiradesh Happy Barnrat, who I've always wanted to interview. <laughs> he was tremendous. His dad flew twenty four hours. Wow. To come watch him play in his first Masters. Wow! Um, you're warming yes. you're warming Neil's heart. The no our no laying up brother Neil is big Abby, Abby Bonrat fan. You're warming his Who heart. Who is right not an Abby Bonrat fan? Right? <laughs> I'm so not I, saying I, I'm not. I'm just <laughs> yeah. So that was really great, and he's hilarious. And uh, asked us to kind of give him, you know, give us like his best memories. And of course, he gave us a bunch of these Phil Mickelson Augusta memories. And we asked him to give us like his best jumping celebration, <laughs> you know, a la Phil Mickelson. And it was as funny as you thought it would be. Like, go on there and watch it. It was great. It was magical on so many levels. And uh, yeah, so we and then I like I mentioned, we did the whole bone sit down who just gave us the best stories about the veto 
that oh, he yeah. gets. That's I, you know, I would love once a year. I would do anything to sit down with Bones and well, I think it was Adam Sarson made the joke on Twitter is why didn't uh, why didn't Bones use his veto for that for the year for that outfit on Friday that Phil had on. <laughs> I mean, because he has to use it wisely. Did you hear the two times he's wanted to use that veto? I mean, one was because Phil was convinced in New Orleans that he was going to get out of trouble by skipping the ball three times over the water. It's going to hit the bunker and roll up onto the green. And Bones was like, no, no, veto. like, no. I mean, those are the kind of insane ideas that Hall of Famer Phil Mickelson comes up with. And Bones has to sit there and try to convince him to do something else. <laughs> there's a there's a clip I think Brendan Porath grabbed once of uh, of it was Phil I forget what tournament it was. Phil goes, I think I like the driver here. What do you think? And then the vine runs out because Bones just stands there and doesn't say a word. <laughs> so like he didn't want to use his veto, so he just gave his answer by not saying anything. <laughs> I mean, it's because Bones is probably in his head, like, how do I top this crazy man? Who is, who is this, this person? <laughs> yeah, like, and that was the funniest thing. And he said the second veto was he tried to use it at Muirfield. Um, before, well, in 2000, what was that, 2002? Last time it was there, before before the last yeah. time it was at Muirfield in 2011? Yes. Uh, it, was thir- it was there in 13, and it was there in 2, I think you're right. There. Or 13, you're the Tiger, I'm sorry. Yeah, so Tiger 2002, yeah. and uh, Phil was in this bunker. You know how deep those bunkers are over in Scotland, mm-hmm. right? And he <laughs> wanted to get on his knees and hit this shot out of the bunker on his knees. And, and, and Bones was like, Vito! <laughs> and Phil looked at him, and he goes... You cannot use your veto. And Bones go, I absolutely can use my veto. I have not used it this year, and I get one. And he goes, the veto is only good in domestic use. <laughs> and Bones was like, we proceeded to get into the most heated argument. And the thing is, like, this sounds like satire, right? He's telling me this story, and I'm like, this just sounds like one huge Onion article. And it, he was like, this, and they're dead serious. Like, they are so heated about it that they started arguing about who was the commissioner of the veto. And Bones is like, to this day, Phil thinks that he's the commissioner of the veto. And I have a huge problem with that. (laughs) And he's like visibly upset over it. Like, it's not a joke. Like we all crack up, but it's real life for them. It is just mind blowing. Uh, Stories he was telling were mind blowing. It it wouldn't surprise me if Phil would just do something ridiculous early on in the year and make him use it up. And that way he's got nothing left for the rest of the year. Right, because Phil has to know every time he like whips out some ridiculous idea, the bones that could be the time he pulls the veto pulls card. The so, are you going to Scotland this year? Uh, I would love to be going to Royal Troon. I think we are still trying to figure that out. It is right now fifty fifty possibility. All right, Harry, if you're listening, I think Amanda wants to go. Um, I always want to go. <laughs> um, I just I literally eat fish and chips three times a day every day for a week. I am gross and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I have a a question for you. Uh, let's say let's say you were still with the PGA Tour. I know PGA Tour doesn't run the Masters, but let's say you were in your role as interviewer and you are, let's say you're working for CBS, all right? Mm-hmm. And Jordan Spieth comes off the 18th green after what happened this past Sunday. What's the first question you ask him in Butler Cabin? Oh, God. Not what kind of car do you drive? Uh, yeah, okay, that's a good start. 
<laughs> you, live, you still live with your parents, Jordan? Or? Yeah, right. How's that going for you, buddy? <laughs> um, first question you asked Jordan Spieth in Butler Cabin after that meltdown. Um, I thought about, if it helps you at all, I thought about this question for like a couple minutes like at one point today, and I, I have absolutely nothing. I have nothing. I, I think the only question... Because here's the thing, there's no good question, right? right? There's no good question because what he has not been able to process it yet. No. And it, that just, that's what it is. Like, he hasn't been able to process it. And I think the question has to be, how do you process what just happened? How do you, how do you process what just happened? I think period. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, and let him you, take it from there. Here's what you don't ask. And that's, uh, well, you think you'll be disappointed from about this? Because that's what Bob McAtee asked him, <laughs> which again, right. I, mean, I don't, I, I don't want to get on yeah. Bob too much for that because, like I said, that I don't know what you say in that situation. Yeah, how do you process it? I mean, I think you got to know that the answer to that is going to be like, I don't, yeah. I don't know, I don't have an answer yet. You know, it's, right? But the thing with Jordan is, is he? There are certain players that you know are pretty cerebral, and they're going to Trevizo, stop it. <laughs> Trevizo wants to get on this podcast so bad. Um, the thing about Jordan is, is he he and Jason Day are kind of similar in the way that, and there there are a handful of other guys too that will think about things as they're talking about it with you, mm-hmm. right? So I could see if you leave it so open ended, you know, you don't need to put an adjective on it. You don't need to tell him that he's feeling disappointed or he's feeling a certain way. Like we all can understand how horrible he's feeling, but for you, just leave it open ended and just say, listen, how do you? What's going through your mind right now? And let him kind of just talk his way exactly what he's thinking. Like, I think that probably either it's going to be a terrible answer, right? Yeah. But you're going to get a terrible answer anyway. Or it could have turned into something pretty cool where he kind of just talks through it almost the way Rory McIlroy did after his meltdown at the Masters. I mean, do you remember how he just kind of, he talked way more than any of us expected him to? Yeah, I think that meltdown, I think, I don't, again, I don't know even how you can, how I can uh, substantiate this statement, but I feel like Rory's meltdown would be easier to handle because of how gradual it was. Um, and I mean, it kind of exploded there on 10, but he had already, I think, lost the lead by 10, or he was maybe tied for the lead or only up by one at that point, so... And then he faded from it very, very quickly. Speed was like, it was a five-shot lead on the back nine. Like, it was decided. It should have been decided. And just to lose in that fashion, I just, I don't know how you, if you're his friend or his family, I don't know what you say to him. Other, I don't know. I just, it's. I, that's the thing. I think, I don't think you say anything. Yeah. You know, I think you just kind of let him process it the way he's going to and talk about when he's ready. Like, maybe it's a different situation between he and Michael. You know, he and Michael Greller probably do have to talk about it. You know, Michael Greller probably feels like he has to talk to Jordan about it. But I think if you're, like, on the outskirts of – if you're outside of that on-course relationship, like, you would just think, like, you can't – there's nothing you can say that's going to make it better, right? So why say anything other than, like, what do you want to drink? I think I was was worried about what – uh, how he would bounce back from it, and after I've I've recovered from a couple of days, so I'm confident that he can too. So. Oh, good. Well, I'm happy for you. I'm worried about you. <laughs> um, no, I just I feel like any time that this guy faces any kind of adversity, he comes back in a way um, that just kind of 
supersedes what you think a human would be capable of. And I think he's smart enough to know that he can't sit and sulk about it. I'm not saying he is. I have no idea what he's been up to these last few days. But yeah. I remember when Kyle Stanley had his meltdown on the 18th green, 72nd mm. hole at Torrey Pines in 2012. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was just... Phoenix the next week. Yeah, he was heartbroken and he was crying. And he, and he went home and cried. He said he did. And he's like, thank God I had a tournament to play the next week. I needed to play. I needed to get out there. And he's like, being out there was just therapeutic. Like, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't reading social media. I wasn't talking to anyone. I was just able to play golf, and my mind was actually clear. So I don't – when do you know when he comes back? What is his next event? I, I don't know when his next event is. And that's the that's the difficult thing with Jordan because even, you know, obviously prior to the Masters, what was the big talk with him? That he, he's completely overextended himself this yeah. season, right? That he's tired, he's emotionally drained, you know, and who wouldn't be after traveling the world, you know, and, and playing as much as he was and all the demands that come with being Jordan Spieth now, right? Because it's not, it's not the playing in the tournaments that's exhausting. Right. I think people... I think people misunderstand that. I think people are like, oh, please, like, I would go and play at all these places, you know, for free, and he's getting paid millions to do it. That's not what's exhausting. What's exhausting are the demands on you and around you outside of, you know, outside of the ropes. And and I think that's the I think that's the biggest challenge, and especially the standards that Jordan is held to, you know, the kind of person he is. And I'm sure the, the way he feels like he has to act and treat people, even when he's having a bad day. You know, I think that all weighs on someone, especially as young as he is, and clearly as nice and as good of a person as he is, I think he probably holds himself to even higher standards than everybody else does. So, I mean, that came into play well before the Masters, and now something truly emotionally draining has happened for him, you know, inside the ropes, and I don't don't know what that answer is, but, I mean, you... I don't think any of us doubt the fact that Spieth is going to come back better than ever because he is a guy that you feel like when he has a chip on his shoulder or he feels like he hasn't performed to the best of his abilities, he comes back and wants to prove himself, you know, prove to himself that he can do it. Yeah. I don't even think it's for anybody else. I think it's for himself. Oh, yeah, we were sure. talking about that um, earlier this week. I mean, remember after he won the Masters last year and then he went to the RBC Heritage after, and when he, I think he shot over par in his first round, right? Yeah. He was in... He was in danger of missing the cut, and he just won the Masters and was furious at himself for playing poor golf his first round back and came back and, I mean, what did he shoot, like 63 or something in the second round? I think he went like 74, 62 or something like that. It was insane what he did, and like all he needed was like that little bit of motivation of playing poor golf for one round. Like imagine what this is going to do, you know? Yeah, no, I think... um... I, I don't I think he understands that something broke down in the process that in the in those three holes where it really slipped away and mm-hmm. I, he seems to me like the kind of guy that's going to turn around and react to that situation totally with a, with a, come back with a prepared mind rather than a damaged mind he's not going to be like oh man remember what happened the last time I had this he's going to be like remember what happened last time you lost your focus a little bit like you sped up you 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 didn't commit to this shot blah blah blah. Let's commit. Right. Let's go. Let's hit. Let's go execute this shot right now. So, I don't. Yeah. Again, I don't have anything to validate or substantiate that, but that's just that's my estimation as to as to what we'll see from him. So, so our guess is that Jordan Spieth is still going to be awesome when he comes back. We are bold. <laughs> we are very bold with this this call. This is this, you're only going to find that here. No laying up podcast. You hear that? I think the kids these days call it hot takes. I think they do. I think they do. <laughs> 
Um, I have a, I have a question. I, I, I didn't receive as many good questions as I'm used to hearing. I think people were, people were intimidated by, you know, the Balionis factor, but Sarah Endicott, friend of the podcast, always sends along great questions. She says none of her girlfriends can understand her Jordan Rory excitement on Saturday. How can she explain it to them? (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's a great question. How, how would you explain if you have a group, a room full of people who don't care about golf, right? Like, how do you explain that to, well, all right, is she asking this from, like, a girl crush on these guys or in, like, golf crush? What do you think? I don't know, but I refuse to go, like, with the low-hanging fruit right now and be like, you know, it's like two cute boys playing a sport that are really good. Like, that's not going to fly. So how do we make them care about these two I don't. I think. I, don't I think know. you got to go for the Rory angle. You got to at least cite the previous. Um, cite the, uh, the he formerly dated a, the number one tennis player in the world, right? Because the celeb watch, right? Really? You want to know about their cute. You want to for girl for somebody that's not paying attention to golf. You want to like that's kind of an interesting backstory about Rory, wouldn't it be? I don't know. I mean, I. I maybe I'm a bad person to ask about this. Sorry, Sarah. I don't think I'm very much help. I feel like <laughs> I would go the route of like. Rory used to be like the convincing world number one, and then he was stupid and broke his ankle doing playing soccer and had to miss like the majority of the season. And then Jordan Spieth came in and was like, "Fine, if you're going to underperform and be out, then I'm going to take over your number one spot." And now they are um, super enemies, like in some sort of superhero movie. From a golf would- angle, I'm I'm with you on that. The way she asked it, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking her friends don't follow golf because I'm thinking her friends know who Spieth and Rory are if they do follow golf. I could be wrong and be be very be very inappropriate right now. So maybe I'll just cut this. All right, whole well, Sarah, off. do us a favor: take <laughs> half of your group of friends and give them my response with the superhero angle, and then give give the other half Chris's response and let me know who was more successful in this feat. I think I'm going to lose this battle. I think this one's over. <laughs> Fingers across. I'm giving these women way more. All right, since I execute, you're giving them. since I executed that so poorly, we're going to end this because I'm now officially embarrassed, and I know you have. Wait, your, by the way. Your, I think that was a nice way of telling you no one cared about me being on this podcast and nobody sent you questions. That was not what I meant. Um, <laughs> I meant... I, you know, I, I had a guy last night at an event call me Heather Balionis, and I was like, ooh, I need, I need to be better. Well, to be honest, I got some questions that were inappropriate that I can't actually say out loud. So that was more of the reason I had to filter through those. Uh, I'm not saying we didn't get questions, but I don't think... We want to discuss some of the ones that were asked. So it's that whole female thing, you know. Yeah, it's oh, okay. I have one then that I want to know what your favorite favorite comment you ever read on any of your PGA Tour videos, Instagrams, tweets, or anything like that ever was. Oh God, I get good ones. And okay, so here's like my dirty little secret, and people are horrified when I tell them this. Oh, but no. sometimes when I am like home alone at night, no. I will go get a bottle of wine. No. And I will drink a bottle of wine while reading through all of my comments oh, no. on YouTube and Facebook. Yes. And then I screen grab them and send them on group chats to my girlfriends and let them just like make me feel so much better while I laugh and like try to think of like really witty responses. But I think What's a? Re- I, I mean, I, I've gotten some gems in the last five years. It's a ho- um, to be honest, it's a hobby of mine as well because I, I laugh every single time because it's. Oh God, it's so funny. I, it, it's it, it's like 
it's probably 70-30, positive to negative, but it, it, it's funny, like, people won't make the same comment, like, on your post as they would the PGA Tour one that like, doesn't have your name in it, right? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> yes. Actually, I did, though, the other day, uh, I commented on my personal Instagram account, right, which is public, so it's fine, but it just cracked me up that it was on mine. It wasn't on the tours or anything like that. It was my, I forget if it was my, yeah, it was my goodbye post Mm -hmm. so like hey guys like i'm leaving the tour whatever and it was just like so much support like i was blown away by it like it was it was so great and then there's this one guy and he's like god like something like good riddance like she is so annoying with her fake accent or fake you know her voice basically saying i i try and put on a fake accent and my voice goes up and fluctuates too much. And it was really annoying to him. And he just couldn't deal with it anymore. You know what? I'm actually kind of jealous of that guy's life. If that's like something that he cares about. <laughs> if that's something that he cares about, he must have everything else perfect in his life. Or the complete oh, opposite. He, well, and he also tagged it with the fact that I have no butt. And I was like, first of all. Is that in the videos? Well, right. Like, <laughs> I am only ever facing forward, sir. And second of all. What does that have anything to do with my on-camera presentation of this information? So that guy just had all of his bases covered. He was like, oh, you are laughing at the fact that I don't like your voice? How about the fact that I also don't like your butt that I've never seen? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Boom. So you hear that, DJ Pajowski? Stop posting on Amanda's social media posts. I, I, to- I try and tell him he doesn't listen. <laughs> All right, I'll let you out of here. You've given me an hour of your time, and I know you've got yoga and a dog that probably needs taken out back there. Um, but thank you so much for your time. We look forward to seeing what uh, what you have going with Callaway. It sounds pretty exciting. It sounded like the the greatest job ever when you gave the full description. I didn't get a chance to say that earlier, but congratulations on the new gig. Best of luck with that, and I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot of you and hearing from you. Thank you. I hope so, and uh, maybe this time next year? Maybe, maybe, and maybe like in oh, the next like year and a half, you can get oh, back on the podcast. Go. Here we go. <laughs> it's fifth, fourteen and a half months scheduled for my return for my return to the U.S. So we'll see. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, thanks for having me. Finally, you bet. Thanks, Everything Amanda. I hoped it would be. All right, take care. <laughs> be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect 